when death was arrested. Well, welcome to Resurrection Sunday. I wish I could give each of you a hug, uh, and my prayer is that the time before we can gather again will be a short one. But we're going to jump right in this morning to the resurrection. Last week, Steve Carter did an excellent job of outlining the meaning of the cross. He took it not only from it as a form of execution in the first century, which everyone there would recognize, but he opened up to show us that the cross was the launching point of our salvation and the starting point of the restoration of all things that God had promised. We're here today because the cross was not the end. You know, if the cross had been the end, Jesus still would have been a wonderful, mighty man. He would have lived a noble life, but it would have been noble and tragic. For three days and three nights, it looked as though Jesus Christ led a noble but tragic life. But just as the prophets and Jesus himself had foretold, a new day dawned and life came to Christ And that opened the door for us to new life as well. And what's interesting to me is none of the four Gospels actually record the moment of the resurrection. The time before and the time after are well documented. We'll look at that this morning. But the moment of the resurrection was a private one between God and his son. And to illustrate this for you, I would like to play a short clip from the movie The Passion of the Christ, because this shows, as near as we can tell, those points that are described in the gospel. So why don't you look at that with me? gives me chills to think about what it must have been like the moment that Christ came to life and beheld the face of his father. That's what I thought that particular film captured so beautifully. But you know something? Each and every Christian will experience the same thing. When Christ returns, and raises those who are dead in Christ, they will experience a moment when their life comes back to their bodies and they behold their Father and their Savior. 
That's good news. And, you know, when we think of gospel today, we think of the big four, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the word gospel in the New Testament is actually used much more frequently in the books that come after those that are called the four gospels. And the word gospel itself means good news. What is the good news that God is trying to bring to us? Now, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was certainly good news for Jesus. But how about us? What is the good news for us because of the good news for Jesus Christ? And to understand that a little better, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This chapter actually contains more information about the resurrection both of Christ and of his disciples than any other single book in the New Testament. And let's start reading in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul the Apostle is speaking, and he says, For I passed on to you as most important what I received. So what he's about to tell us is the most important thing in the Bible. Now, the Bible is a thick book, and every word in it is God's word. Here is what's most important. What is it? That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's it, the most important truth of the Bible. And there is a deeper understanding to these verses than you can generally pick up in English. When it says that Christ died and that he was buried, the Greek uses the simple past tense, an event that occurred in the past, done and stated. But when it goes on to say that he was raised, the Greek uses a different tense altogether. And unfortunately, it is a tense that we do not have a counterpart in English. What this is saying, it is the perfect tense in Greek. And what that tense means is that an event happened in the past, just like his death and burial, an event happens in the past, but that it has effects into the present. All that is what God wanted us to know. Yes, he died on a cross. Yes, he was buried, but he is raised and remains raised. Dead, buried, and raised. That's the center, the launching point of the gospel. Now, you know, it's interesting because in our culture today, Christmas gets much more attention than Easter. But it's not Jesus' birth, but it's his resurrection that makes possible a new life in Christ. Think about it. If you drop Christmas, you lose not even four chapters from the New Testament. Only four chapters in two Gospels. If you lose the resurrection, you lose good news. You lose it all. Without the resurrection, there would be no good news for Christ. He would still be dead. There'd be no good news for us because all we would have to look forward to is death. You know, many people today recognize and believe and acknowledge that Jesus Christ was a great person, that he was a wonderful teacher, that he was loving, even that he was a prophet. But where many people pull back from today is the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
There are even those who call themselves Christians and yet do not believe that Jesus was physically raised from the dead. But if you deny the resurrection, you cannot even be a Christian. That's what it says in Romans chapter 10. Look at this. This one verse explains all that a man or woman has to do to become a Christian. It's so simple. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No wonder 1 Corinthians declares this to be the most important truth. It is the matter of first importance. Everything else revolves around it. Without the resurrection, there would be no good news. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15 again. We're going to go to verse 12 this time. It says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? See, that was said back in the first century, just as some people say it today. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. To be in vain means it's worthless. Whatever you believe without the resurrection, it's worthless. Now, as I said, that moment of the resurrection was a private moment between God and his son. But right after that moment, God has a lot to say of what went on as people began to recognize and understand what had actually happened. And I want to focus on a set of disciples and show you what happened in their lives when they first recognized that Jesus of Nazareth had been raised from the dead. God records it for us in the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to start in verse 1. I'm getting a running start here. It says, but on the first day of the week, Sunday, the day we're here to celebrate, at early dawn, they, a group of women, went to the tomb taking the spices they prepared. These women had been one of the, some of the few people that actually stayed at the cross to the bitter end and watched Jesus die, watched their hopes evaporate. And they saw when Jesus was buried, they saw that Joseph of Arimathea took his body and put it in a tomb, but that Joseph did not anoint it properly according to Jewish burial customs. So these women waited three days and three nights. They came to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus Christ. You think about this for a moment. Would you like to go into a small room where an unembalmed dead body had been in the heat for three days and three nights. These women were willing to endure that because of their love for Jesus. It's remarkable. Look at verse 2. It says, And they, the women, found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Well, that saved them a lot of effort. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, obviously, here's the tomb, there's nothing in it. They were perplexed. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. These were two angels. See, in the Bible, angels don't appear with wings. They're not hovering three feet off the ground. They're not, you know, got a halo. However, they did have dazzling apparel. 
Verse 5. And as they were frightened, the women were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. Of course they would be frightened. They went in and saw an empty tomb. And now all of a sudden, two men in dazzling apparel are standing before them. And they said, and the men said to them, the angels, why do you seek the living among the dead? Well, that's not why the women came there. The women came there to seek the dead among the dead. That's what they were expecting. The angel said, no, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Verse 6, he is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. You see, they had heard them. Jesus had told his disciples on several occasions that he would be crucified, that he would be buried, and then he would be raised. But you know, his disciples, not a one of them, not a man or a woman, really got what he was talking about. They were convinced that Jesus was going to Jerusalem to overthrow the Romans, not to be executed by them. But now these women remembered what Jesus had said, and it's beginning to dawn. Verse 9, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Apparently, there were more in this upper room than just the eleven remaining apostles. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told them these things, told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The women came telling them this fantastical tale about an empty tomb and two angels. You see, in the ancient world, women were not considered to be reliable witnesses. In the ancient world, in most cases, women were not even allowed to testify at court. The apostles thought that these were, this was just wishful thinking on the part of the women. But Peter wasn't so sure. Peter wanted to check this out for himself. Okay, this is what you said. I'm going to go there. It says in verse 12, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, like we saw in that video clip. And he went home marveling at what had happened. The body of Jesus was gone, but the linen clothes were still there. If, it had been, if his body had been moved, nobody would have unwrapped it. If grave robbers had come in, the grave clothes wouldn't be sitting there undisturbed on the slab. And now we come to an extraordinary part of the resurrection story. And What it shows me, one of the things, it illustrates that God does not feel obligated to conform to our expectations. Who would Jesus appear to when he first got up from the dead? Would he go to the chief priests and tell them, look, you were wrong? Would he appear before Pilate? Would he go to the apostles? No. None of the people that the world would have said should be first were first. First were the women who stayed at the cross. And then we have 
two men who are going to hear from the lips of Jesus Christ what really the good news was all about. This is an unexpected encounter. Two disciples, we only have the name of one of them. They aren't in Jerusalem. They're going home from a week that started with a triumphant entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem to the roaring applause of the crowds. That's how the week started. It ended with their hopes snuffed out like a candle. Look at verse 13. That very day, after the women had seen the empty tomb, after Peter, and we know from another gospel, John had seen the empty tomb, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, my house is about six miles from the center here. It takes me 15 minutes to drive it. If I had to walk it, it would take me over two hours. These men were walking home a two and a half to three hour walk to their hometown of Emmaus. And they were talking to each other about all these things that had happened. Not just the crucifixion and burial, but the witness of the women and the astonishment of Peter. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. They were sad. As far as they knew, as far as they were concerned, Jesus was still dead. They didn't know where his body was, but he was still dead. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus said, this is so interesting. Jesus goes, well, what things? And they said to him, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. These disciples had hoped that Jesus was more than a prophet, but that he was the Messiah. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Many of his disciples believed that Jesus was a prophet. No one could deny his mighty deeds. Even the chief priests did not deny the miracles he did. They wanted to kill him because of them, but they didn't deny that they happened. But these two men took it a step further than most. They thought that Jesus was more than a prophet, that he was actually the Messiah. That's what they believed. They believed that until the Romans brutally put an end to that dream. Let's keep reading. Verse 22. The men are still speaking to Jesus, who they don't know is Jesus. Moreover, so women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. They still didn't understand that he had gotten up from the dead. 
So when, at this point, the men have told Jesus everything that they knew had happened right up until when they left Jerusalem. These men were obviously close to the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. They were not apostles, but they had access to the upper room where the apostles were hidden for fear of the Jews. They had access to the apostles. They might have even been staying in the upper room. But even if they weren't staying there, they knew where it was located. Not everyone would have. They were close enough to be admitted when when the doors were locked. Now Jesus is going to reveal himself to these two men. And look what it says in verse 25. It says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses, and the first book of Moses is Genesis. So going to the beginning of the Bible, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He interpreted it to them, meaning that they had read the scriptures, but they didn't understand what they meant. You can know what the scriptures say and still not understand them, still not see them. Verse 28. And they drew near to the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted as as, as if he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. It's almost nighttime. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. These men obviously recognized, they didn't know it was Jesus, but they knew that this was a holy and a wise person. So they gave him the honor of blessing and breaking the bread. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And as soon as they recognized him, he vanished from their sight. Can you imagine the thoughts going through their heads like, oh, wow. Wow. Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Whenever a man or woman has the scriptures open to them, their hearts burn. Having the Bible on the shelf, just reading the Bible, doesn't have your heart burn within you, doesn't bring the excitement. But when you get understanding, when you say, oh, this is what it's about, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. The first discourse of Jesus Christ was to teach the scriptures, to show what was important about his life and ministry. Now, they're going to go back to Jerusalem. It's nighttime. They have a three-hour walk in front of them in the dark. But this news is too important to wait. But when they get to Jerusalem... Nobody's asleep. In that culture, you went to sleep when the sun went down, when there was nothing else to do, no lights, no technology, but nobody was asleep. Look at what it says here. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. You know what the women said? It was right. It happened. Then they told what had happened on the road. And how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. 
As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. At last, the apostles are going to see for themselves what these others are talking about. But it's interesting here. Nobody here at this moment responds with excitement. Jesus had said, peace be to you, and they had anything but peace when he showed up. Look at verse 37. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? You know, when Jesus, you could look at this in one way and say, well, well, gee, how many times do you see a dead person back up from, to life again? Of course they're surprised. Jesus has a different viewpoint. Prophecy said this was going to happen. Why are you surprised when the Bible is true? Why does it surprise you when prophecy is fulfilled? But since you are surprised, see my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. I think it is remarkable that when God raised Jesus from the dead, his body was restored to pristine condition except for the mark of the hands and the feet for the nails and the side for the spear. You see, when he was crucified... He was just chopped meat. Isaiah said he was so marred that he didn't even look like a man. That's not how he looks when he appears to the disciples, with the exception that God left the marks of crucifixion upon him. You know, when soldiers go to war, when they come back, they are awarded medals. that they can display to show their victory. The mark of the nails, the mark of the spear, was like a medal or, or medals that Jesus Christ had declaring the victory of the cross over death. Verse 40, And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Now, how do you disbelieve for joy? Okay, well, what, what this, is, this is an idiom. What this meant was, in our vernacular, this is just too good to be true. Oh, my gosh. It is you. You are alive. And then Jesus says, have you anything to eat? I just think God has such a sense of humor. Verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. I can imagine. The apostles aren't eating. Jesus is eating. I'm sure they're just looking at him. Wow, he's eating. It's that God just has such a sense of humor. And then when he finishes eating, now Jesus is going to fill them in. And again, he's going to go to the scriptures. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Again, same as what was said of the two men on the road to Emmaus. You can know the scriptures and not understand them. The Pharisees and the chief priests, they were the doctors of the law. They knew the scriptures. And when the Messiah was standing right in front of them, they missed him. 
Knowing the scriptures does not mean that you will have a relationship with God. Knowing the scriptures by itself does not mean you understand anything. God can open our eyes so that we can understand. I would have loved to be in that room with a microphone and recording equipment as Jesus Christ went through the Old Testament and showed himself. We don't exactly know what he said because that's not recorded. But we do know because we have the Bible, we know that the Messiah is the subject of the Bible from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation chapter 22. When 1 Corinthians says that Jesus died, was buried, and was raised, it is stating things that were already revealed in the Old Testament, but people didn't understand them. Isaiah shows us that the Messiah would be brutally executed. Then the book of Jonah gives us a figurative foreshadowing that the Messiah would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Then there's Psalm 16, and these are not the only places, but in Psalm 16, God declares that the Messiah would not remain dead. There are many other things that Jesus could have highlighted. He could have pointed out that he was the promised seed of Genesis 3, that he was the Passover lamb and the tabernacle in Exodus, that he was the great high priest from the book of Leviticus. That in the book of Ruth, Jesus is the kinsman redeemer. That in Nehemiah, Jesus, the Messiah, is the rebuilder. In Esther, he was the savior of the people. You see, all these things were embedded in the Old Testament. People knew the stories, but they didn't understand what they meant until Christ opened their eyes. Can you imagine the apostles that night? Here's the conclusion in Luke chapter 24. We're going to read in 46. It echoes the most important truth that we saw in 1 Corinthians. And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to his na- in his name to all nations. You see, His resurrection was good news for Jesus, but this is the good news for us, that we have, we can repent and receive forgiveness of sin. Beginning in Jerusalem, verse 48, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That final verse's promise would occur 50 days later on the day of Pentecost. But Jesus finishes this astounding teaching with a commission. A commission to take the good news to the world. It's a commission that is still ours today. We're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and see that the resurrection was not only good for Jesus. It's good for you and I. We celebrate the resurrection not simply to celebrate a good thing that happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago. We celebrate the resurrection because it has given us a new life as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll read verse 20. And now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. The first fruits. That means 
there's going to be a harvest after this. Jesus Christ was not the end of those who will be raised from the dead. Verse 57 in the concluding section of this chapter, it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ever since Adam, every man and woman had lost the war against death. Death took everyone. It was the great equalizer. Jesus Christ has given us a victory over death. Jesus Christ is our hope, our hope of eternal life. He is not simply a hope. He is a living hope. And he will return to us one day. And as we close, Jess and Glenn are going to lead us in this great song, Our Living Hope. I'd like to pray. Father God, in Jesus Christ's name, in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, we praise you and we pray to you. And we thank you, God, that we have a new life because of him. Everything is new because of Jesus Christ. Our lives are different. Our past doesn't own us. We are not doomed to live in the bed that we've made. We are not doomed to reap what we have sown, but we can reap what Jesus Christ has sown. And his life has sown into our lives the hope of a resurrection. And we praise you for that, God. And I pray for each and every man, woman, and child listening today and for all those across the world who are celebrating this, that you can open our understanding to what the resurrection means to us. And I pray in Christ's name, amen. God bless.